everyone, we're here to tell you about the Venture Maidens podcast. Four lifelong gamers. Four longtime friends doing a real play 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Including such themes as... Ooh, awkward. NPC romance. Darts to the butt. Chopping things with axes. Find us on iTunes, Spreaker, Twitter, Facebook, or Twitch. New episodes every other Sunday. Or every other Wednesday on Twitch. Check out our website, www.theventuremaidens.com. And start the quest today. Until then, venture away. Hello, everybody. I am here with my friend, Sean Merwin, who is very experienced in the ways of short run, uh, of writing and running uh, short D&D adventures. Uh, Sean, would you like to introduce yourself? Well, as Mike said, my name's Sean Merwin, and I am indeed very practiced, if not good, <laughs> in the ways of writing short adventures. Uh, I have done freelance work for Wizards of the Coast since 2001. I have worked for many companies, uh, Cobalt Press. I've got two projects for WotC, two for Cobalt Press, one for Gamehole Con, and also working on Star Trek for Modifius. And that's just what I'm working on right now. So yeah, that that, shows that's you, like your current to-do list? That's Yeah, that's my list of things to do within the... And not to mention Bald Man Games. So, <laughs> yeah. I also uh, work for Encoded Designs, a hippie gaming commune. Where we work on whatever the groups of uh, groups of us want to work on, and I have my own podcast too with Chris Nizak called uh, Down with D and D. Are you uh, are you losing your sponsorship when they cut the National Endowments of the Arts? Your hippie <laughs> commune. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Nothing I uh, work on can be considered art. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would disagree with that. Having having uh, experienced many of the many of the things that you've that you've produced um, i don't think i get any federal funding <laughs> <laughs> no federal funding that that's possible that well certainly not now yeah well, i really appreciate you coming on the show um as you know from the show what i like to do is pick on one particular topic in this in this hobby of ours and uh really dig into it and and find somebody who's very experienced in this particular topic uh you and i ran into each other into the in the one restaurant that anybody can eat at at uh, Winter Fantasy, so we, you know, chatted a bit there about the idea of short D and D adventures, which is something I've been very interested in. My own D and D adventures tend to be short. I run uh, multiple sessions a week, but they're usually two to three hours instead of the the very typical four hours. I think it's pretty safe to say that most D and D games uh, tend to run four hours. Or I'd say the of the of the times. How, how do I say it appropriately? Of any time uh, that it takes to run D and D, more people play four hours than any other specific yeah. time but there's there's something kind of fascinating about uh really refining uh dnd down to an hour uh i think in previous editions it might have been impossible to do so and now it feels like and and i think you know as we as we talk we'll discover more about what it's like to try to do it for for the current edition so to start off with uh, when did you first have to write a uh one hour adventure and what was that experience like and what was going through your head at the time it was probably the most terrifying thing I've ever been asked to do. <laughs> yeah. And and the reason why was because it was at, right at the start of 5th edition. And they decided when they did the Adventurers League launch to make some regular four-hour adventures, but also make these short one-hour adventures that would introduce players to 5th edition. Either 
people that are just playing it for the first time or people who have never played D&D before. So the Adventurers League folks came to me and said, could you work on this first adventure? We want them to be uh, five one-hour adventures that can be played in any order and that people will just at Gen Con will come, buy a ticket, get in line, play, and then leave. Or if they want to play, get back in line and play the next one. And I thought, okay, that will be challenging but let's let's give it a shot. And they said, well, now remember, this has to follow all of the, the uh, Adventures League rules. So, you know, you have to use a certain amount of XP and a certain amount of treasure. And I'm like, uh, it'll make it a little harder, but, but we're okay. We can do that. And then they continued to heap on these. Now, it has to be done in an hour. It can't be an hour and one minute because we need to rotate players through. Right. And so... And I'm thinking, well, there's paperwork going to be involved. There's going to be getting people to the table, sit down, take out the day. So now we're talking really 45 minutes of adventure. And so at, at this point, I was like, what did I get myself into? So to calm myself down, what I tried to do was go back and look at, okay, what's been done in the past with this really short play? Mm-hmm. And the first thing I thought back to was an article that Mike Merles wrote, Legends and Lore article, about the one-hour adventure. And I'm like, mm-hmm. perfect, one-hour adventure, let's read this. So what he basically said was, in the in the ramp-up to D&D Next and then 5th Edition, he and the other people at Wizards, and a lot of us actually, went back and played all the old editions mm-hmm. to see what we liked best about them. So his article was about playing basic D&D and having a full adventure, including making characters, in an hour and that he wanted fifth edition, whatever it looked like after D and D next was over to be able to support that kind of experience. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. I can start with this. So then I went and looked at the feedback that his article had gotten. Now it is the internet and it is gamers. <laughs> so you had to filter and, a little bit. Well, you know, it ran the gamut of, okay, that would be really cool to, if this is what fifth edition is going to be like, I'm going to quit D and D sell all my dice. And, and, but In that uh, spectrum of feedback, there were some good, interesting points. Using all of that, I then said, okay, has has this been done in the past? And really, it kind of had with the D&D Encounters program. Because if you remember D&D Encounters, it started in 2010, fourth edition days. And Mm -hmm. it was go to your game store, play for between an hour and two hours. Mm-hmm. Get your fix of D&D in and then go and come back the next week and continue the story. So there were some lessons to be learned from that. It was a different edition. It was fourth edition and it was a little longer play time, but okay. So I went back and I started with Eric Scott DeBee's, uh Hallister's Lost Apprentice, which was the first one, and started reviewing those to see what worked and what didn't and all of those. Because it was meant to teach new players, just like I was going to have to do. Um, It was meant to kind of introduce people to organized play, which I was going to have to do. So I went that route. And then I thought even further back, for third edition, at big conventions like Origins or Gen Con or Winter Fantasy, uh, Watsi would run what they call the Delve. And it was between one and two hours where you'd go... There was really no story except for, hey, there's a cave and there's stuff you can collect in the cave, so go. Right. And it would be, you know, three encounters, see how far you could get. A lot of times you'd get a token for each encounter you you did, and then you'd turn in the token for some real-life swag. So I looked at all of those and then finally said, okay, other people have done something like this. Now I think I can handle it. So that was all of the research that went into that. Now I'm going to sit down and see what I can do. So when I started writing, the first thing I did was, okay, what is an adventure? If, if we're going to run a one-hour adventure, what needs to be involved? And I just kind of broke it down to see if you can get in the three pillars of play, combat, exploration, 
and what they were calling interaction, which mm -hmm. they've now decided to call role playing. So mm -hmm. combat exploration role playing. Give give the adventure a beginning, some sort of hook that, that gives them a goal. Go through interacting, combating, role playing, and then have a a resolution, a denouement, if you will, and leave with some sort of reward for completing that goal. The reward could just be job well done, here's some XP, here's some gold, here's a magic item, but something that felt like something was completed. Didn't have to wrap up a whole mystery, but you got to the goal that you had started with. Mm -hmm. uh, so with that definition in mind, I started focusing then on, okay, what were, what were my limiting factors? Because anybody who's done any sort of writing knows if you're staring at a blank page or a blank screen and you don't set yourself any limits, you're lost in a vast sea of white. So what I did was, okay, what are my limits? One hour, all right, five linked, but not necessarily in order adventures. D&D, mm -hmm. uh, &D, Adventures League Legal, I was also asked to, in each one of the five mini-adventures, introduce one of the factions. So the mm. Harpers, Emerald Enclave, etc. Do they all do that? Or just that first set? The first set does that. Then I said, okay, let's at least try to really delve into two of the three pillars in each one. So mm. maybe one would be combat and exploration. One might be combat and role-playing. One might be uh, interaction, role-playing interaction, and exploration. Let's just, and if I get three in, great. If I can just focus on two well, we'll do that. Mm -hmm. um, then I thought, okay, new players and possibly new DMs. So let's kind of make it simple. Let's not try to get too fancy with, with everything. Uh, maybe pick one really cool thing that the DM can ham up, like a really funny NPC or a weird monster or you know, a cool effect that the, the players can interact with. But just try to make it one cool thing. Is one of those like giving birth to a demon goat? That would be yes. That That's would an be example one of, of one. Things. Okay. Yep. Yep. That was in the, the most third horrifying event. scene in any one-hour D and D game I ever played. Uh, I tried, and then I thought, okay, let's let's see if I can even get it get on get it focused down even closer. So I said, okay, there's five adventures. There's five uh, chromatic dragons, and this was the the uh, horde of the dragon queen season. So let's focus on a color or a dragon, like black dragon, red dragon, take each one and focus on that color as a theme. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to just keep pushing it down and down and down until I was at, in such a small space that it was very easy to fill that space. Right. Because I had all of those things. And if you're, if you're have any literary bent whatsoever, you'd know Edgar Allan Poe had a theory called unity of effect which is if you're writing a short story, every single word in that story should be pushing toward the one goal you have in mind for that story, whether mm -hmm. it be horror or mystery or, or whatever. And that includes the words you use poetically or mm -hmm. you know the images you bring up. So I thought, okay, let's, let's really tighten it down. Start from there and then go. So that was, uh, that was where I started with that first adventure. And I've kind of been using that as a pattern for the next four I wrote after that. And when you say adventure, you like th that adventure was actually five of these one hour things. Exactly. And, and, and you've done how many now? Five total? I've done five for the Adventurers League that launched five seasons. Right. I did one called In Volo's Wake where I had uh, Monica Valentinelli and Rich Lescuflair uh, working with me to write six of them. 
Hmm. But it was the same kind of concept, a short adventure that ties into Volo's Guide to Monsters. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. So um, so you talked about managing the three pillars. Are any of those pillars easier to work with in a in a one hour game? Uh, and are any particularly difficult? Honestly, the easiest one to work with for me is combat. Yeah, because D&D has such a long, rich tradition of combat. And that's what. I would say a majority of the people going into the game expect that and know the most about that. Right. Um, they know that, okay, you roll dice and you hit things and you're trying to roll high. And so, you know, so all of those things, it's just a matter of, well, it's, it's like with 5th edition now. You can go back and play a, an AD&D adventure and it's pretty similar. You don't really have to change too much. Right. You know, the, the monsters line up pretty well. Right. So it, that's kind of the easiest thing to to do trying to get a cool interaction or trying to get cool exploration mm -hmm. that is a little bit harder to do and harder to make new with each iteration of an adventure yeah you know, there's only only so many runes up on the wall that you fiddle with <laughs> that you can make cool evil pillars yeah exactly the, the staple in my game the evil yeah. pillar Exactly. The, um, the, the pillars, the altar, uh, you know, it's... In, in your head, do you sort of have an idea about how much time combat is typically going to take now in 5e? Yeah. When I, when I did the original adventure for the, those first five missions, I playtested at least three times with all of them, with different groups, with a stopwatch. Yeah. And, you know, and, and wow. literally it was go... It's a good scientific hit, approach. Hit go and then start and play... Yeah. And, you know, some groups I played with were super serious. So I knew, okay, these guys are going to get through it faster than this group that goofs off. But, you know, you're going to get that when you run it at a convention too. So, and so I would tweak here and there. And, and after that first run, I pretty well know that I can get three combats in one one-hour adventure if they're yeah. simple, straightforward fights. If you start throwing in doing interaction during the fight, like you're fighting, but you're also trying to, you know, take down the cursed pillars. Yeah, right. Now you got then, things. Then you maybe can only get one or two combats in, but you're also getting in that interaction uh, part of the, the game as well. So that, yeah, it's interesting because I, 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 would, I would think that our, my, my reaction is that combat is the hardest to manage. Because it feels like it's the most time-consuming, and some of that is I'm still I've still got the scars from 4E, where right. like there was no way to fit, you know, combat and anything else into an hour. Right, it, and it that's like. I mean, people argue about that all the time. Oh no, 4E was just fine, and it was very fast. And I'm like, really? Like my battles always took a long time. Yeah, and you, when you write something, you really have to give everything over to the DM and say. Here's my user manual for this adventure that I'm handing to you, Mr. DM. You you use your tools to to make it fit. Right, right. So so for a DM that's actually running, that wants to run, um, you know, we'll 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 stick to the focus of a one hour game. But I'm I'm hoping for things that are useful for anybody that's kind of running a time constrained game, and particularly a time constrained game that's sh short. You know, like it's not a five hour game. You know what do you what do you think are some of the key the key things that a DM needs to keep in mind to be able to keep to the you know keep the flavor of D and D and and make sure that it still feels like a fun D and D game but also stick to that time. The first thing that you need to do is get the players to understand, especially if they're used to four hour games. This is a one hour game, so <laughs> while while we're gonna do all the cool things, 
you're not going to get that exact same experience. Right. Um, if if you can at least, even if they don't understand what that means, if you can at least say this is going to be different, usually people are fine with it. You're mm -hmm. you're always going to get the people that are like, well, I didn't get a chance to blank. No, mm -hmm. you didn't. But you know that that's this is a one hour game. Uh, so start with that buy in. But after that, it's all about pacing. Mm -hmm. Um, what I will do is I will start, if I'm DMing a one-hour game, I will start sitting down. The first thing I will do is take control of the table. I will be the first one to speak at the table, and it will usually be some sort of... Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's people chatting, but <laughs> then it will be like, oh, hey, thanks for coming, thanks for playing. Um, if we're at Gen Con, oh, can everybody give me your tickets? Right. Oh, and here's this form to fill out. You know, start by taking control of the action around the table. Right. And then you at least, I mean, it's the same thing if you're in business and you're running a meeting or right. if you're a teacher and you're teaching a class, you become the biggest personality at the table hmm. just to start with. So everyone knows that they're focused on you. And a DD game, a lot that's of, tough. Well, it is. It There's is. a lot and of personalities the, around that table. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's okay, though, if somebody at the table has a bigger personality than you, as long as they are focused the way they should be on keeping the game moving forward, that's fine. Then you can step back a little and, and let that person share the pacing with you, as long as they are moving at the pace the game needs to go. Now, that's the first thing. Take control of the table. Uh, I, I'm not a person that would that likes to do that. I would rather sit back and listen to other people talk. But I know if I'm going to get this game over in 50 minutes. All right. It's it's way more critical. Yeah, I've got to be that person. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Um, and then I will start usually by sitting down and going, starting the game, reading the little box text slowly, uh, calmly. And then as the game goes on, as we get to more exciting or interesting parts of combat, I start to talk faster and I might stand up. And now I'm up and I'm moving at the table and everyone's looking at me. Mm -hmm. And so they're getting the idea that, okay, everything was relaxed, but now we're going to pick up the pace. Right. And they usually follow that lead, mm -hmm. whether it's consciously or subconsciously. Mm -hmm. um, so it's important to, and then you can you get through the first combat. Say there's two combats in the adventure. Um, you get through that first combat, then sit back down, you slow down again. Now they're going to explore. So, you know, smooth it out a little, talk a little slower. They get the idea that, okay, now the frenetic part is over. Now we get to look around. And so just by your actions and your voice, mm -hmm. you know, if you talk high and fast, everyone's going to be excited. And <laughs> Full of anxiety. Your voice yeah. and talk slower. Like, they're like, like dog owners, right? Exactly. My dogs always act like the owner acts. If the owner's like, watch out for my dog. <laughs> My dog gets really excited. Really? I wonder why that is. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. Uh, no, but so, you know, it's you, you have these tools of just motion. You know, if you're moving around and talking with your hands versus slowing down and sitting down. And then you can control the pace that way. Yeah, so that 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 whole idea of using your body language to maintain the pacing is something I had never really thought of. I mean, I, I've I've thought of the idea of like standing for for a couple of reasons. I've heard I've heard people that talk about presentations and speech and 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 voice projection in general. That when you're standing, you're much stronger than you're sitting. I forget. I think some old business book talked about like if you ever have an important phone call, stand while you're doing it, and people on the other end can actually tell. Well, I'm so, standing right now. <laughs> Are you really? You're standing next to me. Yeah. I couldn't be couldn't be more laid back. <laughs> I clearly I don't have the right pacing for this conversation. But that idea of 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 actually managing the pacing 
by body language, standing during the exciting parts, speeding up tone of voice. Uh, and then when when the you know when the pace dips back down again, sitting down, speaking a little bit more slowly and deliberately. Uh, that's really that's a that's a that's pretty that's really interesting. I hadn't I'd never really thought of it like that. And it's I mean, obviously, you can use that in any sort of game, but it's more important to do it in a very short game where you yeah. need the players to be to be focused. Right. Um, right. And you can also bring players into that pacing ritual by letting them be in charge of initiative or putting them in charge of certain aspects of the game that maybe normally you as the DM would do, because, you know, that just keeps them a little bit more focused. Yeah. 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 Letting, letting yeah, players, there's a bunch of like, you know, little dirty tricks that I've, that I've either talked about or tried over the years and not all of them stick, but one of them that has stuck completely is having players do initiative. Um, you know, I always, at, at my Sunday game, there's one person who is, has now accepted responsibility for doing initiative period. It's just like, it's been his job now for four or you know, for a year. Um, right. at my other game, I kind of hold it up and you know, whoever's mm -hmm. somebody will finally go, okay, I'll do initiative. What I've done too, is if I sit down at the table, I know I have one hour and that's it. And I look and one guy's on his phone or doing something else, or yeah. he's probably going to be the one who slows things down. Ask him to do initiative. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I do that with skill checks too. Yep. You know, if I see somebody that's reaching for their phone or that's on their phone, that's when their character is the, the, the one that's got to discover something interesting. Yep. You know, and I'll say, hey, you know, Ryu, why don't you roll a skill check for me? You know, as, as you're studying a statue in the corner, it suddenly dawns on you that you're staring at a statue that might be 30,000 years old and tell you something about the war between giants and dragons. Blah, 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 blah. And, um, and that, that actually goes to another thing about pacing, which is avoid dice rolling. Oh, yeah? uh, unless it's super, unless it's super important, if there's that DC 10 history check to know something about the statue, don't make people roll Just that. Just give it to them. And that's, that's on the writer generally. Um, huh. If you're writing a very short adventure, just give them the history, right. you know, just give, unless it's super important and you really want to reward someone for having a super high history, uh, mm -hmm. just give it to them. That's it, interesting. Oh. That, 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 that's, that's one. So I've, I've heard, I've heard that advice uh, a fair bit, you know, or a number of times as well. The, the whole, like, you know, if it's lower than it, if it's, if it's a low, either a couple circumstances, one is if it's a crucial piece of information, don't hide it behind a, a, a die check. And the other one is, and if it's relatively low, don't bother with the die check. Just tell them. Um, yep. The one thing though is almost in the same vein as using using as the DM using their body language to maintain a pace. I always feel like if they're rolling dice, they're doing something that's D and D like. You know, mm -hmm. that's the one thing I could get them to do with their hands that's different than working on their phones. Um, so I, I'd probably overdo it. I probably ask for die rolls more often than I don't know more often than most. It's hard to. You know, I can't do a scientific survey of that, but you know, it feels like I do die rolling a lot, and many times it's like I don't really. Uh, a, it feels relatively quick to me because it's pretty fast for them to look at their skill and and figure out what the check was. Some, <laughs> yeah, I guess right. Yeah. There's sometimes well, there's a lot of times where I'll say like, okay, who's got the highest history, and then everybody has to like do a big survey of the table and figure out who's got a history, right. and then I'll say, okay, so you got the highest history, but is anybody else talking to you about this? And then. Someone else says, yeah, you know, she and I will talk about it. And I say, okay, that gives you advantage on the roll. And then there's always the, no, you don't have to roll. Only they have to roll and they roll twice, which I seem to have to clarify. <laughs> it's the one weird rule about 5e yeah. and advantage 
uh, and aiding somebody is that the aider doesn't do anything and, and right. they want to do something. They want to roll a die. And exactly. Yeah. I don't know. If, yeah. But, but yeah. so that, so it's interesting on the idea that it's particularly, I think this is, this is really a, a solid difference between a one hour game and a longer game that in a one hour game. That's, you know, that's valuable time. If you did yep. a lot of those and every one of those took an extra, you know, couple minutes, well, those right. couple minutes are, are, you know, a significant percentage of your overall game. Precisely. So that's, that's, that's very interesting. Yep. And, and the, the final way that just came to me to to pay, help pace a game, and the writer needs to be the one to do this to help the DM, is to put an NPC in there somewhere who the DM can use to help regulate the party's pace through the game. If you're the DM and you don't have that, you might just have to say, okay, well, then you have to move into the next room because we've only got 10 minutes left <laughs> right. and there's a combat there. Whereas if there's an <laughs> NPC that they can use as a DM, now, now you're, you're in the story rather than meta. You're saying, and the gnome that's with you just takes off into that room. Right. What do you do? Yeah. Uh -oh. you know, so, so you're starting along. Yeah. Rather than having to, you know, look at your watch and. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I always had. So I, I run I, I've run a I didn't do it this last year for obvious reasons. But in previous years on Halloween, I run Curse of Strahd or I'm sorry, I run Ravenloft mm -hmm. next year. I'll be running Curse of Strahd or <laughs> later this year, I guess. And um, that's one where it's like if I'm going to run a five hour version of, of, you know, Ravenloft, I've got to keep it really tight and short. And one of my rules is Strahd's going to show up a half hour before the game ends. And I right. tell him, like, I'm like, you know, Strahd's showing up in three and a half hours. You know this, right? You can feel it. He told you this, right? And then, like, throughout, I'll be like, oh, Strahd's coming. And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I remember, like, I ran one game and they were literally just kicking doors down to try to get to the last item they needed to fight him. And and there was all this story and all this plot in each room and they just ran through it. So like yep. they kick a door open and here's this woman that's in, you know, pulls the bed sheets up around her, like, hey, have you seen this sword? This was your sword. <laughs> She's like, I didn't see the sword. He's like, all right, never mind. And just leave right. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that 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 urgency, putting the sense of urgency, the the, the need of urgency into the characters. Yep. In in story, right? right. So they know right. like you have this candle and the candle is burning out. And if it burns out, the demons are going to descend upon you before you're able to screw at the four evil pillars. Right. And you start with that urgency right in the story hook, whatever your hook yeah, is. Right. Yeah. It, it's not, you know, it's not this guy hires you and now you have a day to go buy equipment and go answer, ask questions. It's you see someone and there's an emergency and you have to go right now. <laughs> right. So, so one other question, and then I want to I want to grab some questions from our from our uh, uh, from our readers here. I forgot to mention uh, that Alex Basso, our guardian angel, is also here in the in the channel. Uh, he's the one that's uh, chatting with folks in the chat channel, and will be selecting the questions that we talk about in a bit. Um, Alex, jump in anytime. Say hello if you want to. Uh, if you don't, hello. No, no big. Ah, there he is, the the invisible guardian angel. So. Um, one one question, one last question that I had, because um, I, I I always love this idea. Like you you go to all of these conventions and you go to the pit and you see people half a dozen DMs that are running your stuff right there, right? And you're walking around watching them run it. What do they do that drives you kind of crazy? You know, what do you wish? What do you wish they would do that you don't generally see them doing? Um, Besides like winning your beautiful prose, right? Yeah. Like, I think it, the the first two are taking control of the table. 
not being the 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 biggest personality at the table. Those are um, things that they're not, yeah, they're they're not yeah. taking control of the table like they should. Yeah. And and really the thing that drives me the most crazy is when they don't do what they want to do rather than running what I wrote. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you know, because they're sitting there with the six, five, four, seven players, and they know what these people want. Mm-hmm. And just because I wrote that this NPC says this doesn't mean that NPC has to say that. Right. Just because I wrote that there are X number of monsters does not mean that the DM can't take away or add monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, they are, I'm just the playwright, they're the director. Right. And they know their audience better than I know their audience. Right. Right. And there are as many ways to play D&D as there are players in the world. I don't care if a DM skips every combat mm-hmm. and just runs a full role playing session. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I have given them enough grist for their role playing mill to to do that if that's what those players want. Mm-hmm. Um and you know I that's the gift I want to give writers when I DM their stuff mm-hmm. is no matter what it says on the page, if those players walk away happy, they think that that writer has written the best adventure ever. So I, I hope and I pray that the DM will use what I wrote as much as possible, but then do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, yeah. they're there. This is a really, yeah, so that that's a really interesting topic into itself. Like I've, I've, I've you know, every adventure writer that I've talked to. And in many adventures that I've read, like, you know, in the, in the text of the adventure, it says like, you know, it, it essentially gives the the I think it was George Orwell who said, right, avoid any of these rules rather than do anything outright barbarous. This recognition that, look, I'm just saying a bunch of nonsense in here. You're sitting in that chair with six people in front of you that you got to entertain. Do whatever you need to do with this. Right. Tear it apart. Throw the whole thing away. Whatever you need yeah. to do. Take take, yeah. you know. And and still there's a reluctance. And, and even, you know, I both write adventures and run adventures. And I and I still find myself like, yeah, I'm running Storm King's Thunder and I'm kind of taking it my own way. But Perkins sure spent a lot of work, you know, doing it this way. Maybe I really – and then I'm like, ah, oh, I just hate this anyway. I'm still going <laughs> to do it that way, right? Yeah. And so I've kind of gotten over that. But most of that is just because of ego, right? I'm like, I'm smart right. and I can run great D&D adventures. But I know a lot of people who don't. I have to tell you a story because it was one of your adventures. Uh, I was at Gen Con, I think, a couple of years ago playing them. And it was one of the last games of the of the event. And it was a, a one-hour game. And we're playing it. And it was a great big room with, like, four cauldrons of fire. And you had to, like, knock the cauldron of fire to light the torch underneath or something like that. Right. And the DM was just not giving it to us at all and we're like running around this hall getting our asses kicked by whatever monster was in there and the, and the monster felt tough we're like level one right right and right. the monster felt really tough and people are dropping and barely getting back on their feet and people are doing heel checks to try to get people to on and we're running around hitting these baskets and the dm was just you know like the opposite of the body language was the exact opposite like if there had been a cot he would have been lying down on it to sleep <laughs> and granted it was his last adventure of a weekend you know but yeah. god knows how many slots he ran but right. i remember like every time we were clearly like just aggravated like i'm just mad and i'm just like well, you know I'm not going to like we literally had to roll like a 19 or a 20 on our check to be able to roll this thing. And in my mind, I'm thinking like he can change this anytime he wants and he can just come up with any reason he wants for us to be able to knock this thing off. And we all came up with like crazy ideas about stuff we were going to do. And everyone's like, no, sorry, that's not how it works. 
And and I was like, man, you know, and, and he kept like kind of waving and gesturing at the adventure every time we would try something. And I was like, A, I'm mad at him because I know, of course, look, if nobody at this table is having fun, just let us do it, right? And then I'm mad at the adventure because I'm like, what kind of jerk adventure has this skill check? <laughs> and then later I read it and it wasn't anything like he ran it. <laughs> you know, it was totally better. And even in the event, like, not only was he playing, he was playing to a bad adventure that was in his head. So it's like yeah. one of the weirdest situations I've seen of somebody supposedly playing it by the book. Yeah. When he wasn't, and it was a worse experience for everybody. But yeah. I blame that it on was... the fact that it was, you know, probably 20 hours he'd been running in the last three yeah. days, whatever. Oh uh, yeah, those last slots on, on a, especially on like late Saturday, or early Sunday, <laughs> are, are brutal for like everyone said, involved. If we had handed him a pillow, that'd have been it, you know, like yeah. Yeah. Had to sleep. So uh, we're gonna take some questions from our from our, the folks that have been watching on the Twitch channel and anybody that's happened to uh, uh, post any notes on Twitter. Uh, Alex, what have you got for us? Okay, so first, this one's from MJS MJS October. Uh, would you have an upper limit to party level or monster CR for a one-hour adventure? That's a good question. Yeah, that is a great question. Every one that I've written so far for, for the Adventures League has been uh, for first through fourth level characters. Starting uh, in, in an upcoming season, we're going to try them at tier two. Ah, cool. Um, so so there five, will be five, some. Ten. Yeah. So I wouldn't go past ten. And I am in that fear zone right now of, <laughs> of what's going to happen, even at even at fifth level. Because once you hit fifth level, you have spells yeah, right. that can change the way yeah. things. Fireball work. changes everything. Yeah. Now, yeah. On the other hand, so, fireball is also really quick. <laughs> this is true. It's summon woodland so, beings that causes real trouble. Right now, that doesn't mean a more skilled writer than I couldn't pull it off at twentieth level. It's right. it's always. Go back to those pillars, and does combat at that level um, bog down to the point where you can't get through a one-hour combat? Um, depends on the the monsters you throw at them, I guess. Um, if you just let them do a cakewalk, well, at that level, everything's a cakewalk for a twentieth level. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know how you yeah. do a one-hour challenge against twentieth level PCs, yeah. <laughs> unless it's an evil pillar. <laughs> Yeah, but you could definitely do some sort of exploration, role playing uh, thing in an hour yeah. for sure. Uh, at at pretty much any level, depending yeah. on on how you uh, how you configured it. I mean, that's sort of tombs of tomb of horrors is sort of like that, right? Where Tomb of Horrors is written by Gygax as a tournament adventure, where he's like, I don't care what you bring to the table. If you stick your arm in a black hole, that arm is gone. Right. right? And so it can be a challenge because it really doesn't matter what your characters do. It doesn't matter what powers they've got. Like, you right. know, getting run over by a juggernaut is still getting run over by a juggernaut. Right. And, and if you set them a goal at the start of the hour and you give them a, a, a significant barrier to completing that goal and they are able to overcome that barrier within the hour, you've, you've just had an adventure. So I would say it's... I'm going to be learning a lot about that in the next couple of months. Let's yeah, so you, so you wrote it. You wrote it for five to ten. You've already. Uh, it? It's it has not been written yet, so that's okay. why I'm I'm still in terrified mode. Yeah, right. I'm always in that mode. So, <laughs> uh, especially if I had your to do list. Do you just just to kind of follow up on that? When you're looking at designing it for five to ten, are you changing? Do you have kind of components of the adventure that you're changing be, because of the fact that they're that level? Or are you going to you running it pretty much the same with the general? You know, the same I'm, general ideas. 
I'm going to have to do some play tests because now the combat, now the combat thing is going to be a question for me. So, you know, from, if you're just doing first level through fourth level combat, you can pretty much do a simple combat in 15, 20 minutes easily. Uh, even a hard combat with lots of moving parts, you can get through in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you, if I'm looking at 10th level characters, mm-hmm. I have to see how that, that plays out. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be cool. I'd be very interested to hear how that, how that works. Me too. So <laughs> you, yeah. Right. Uh, Alex, what else you got? That's a good question. Yeah, it was. So one to follow that up also on combat is what are some ways to quickly end a combat if time is running out? Oh, I have opinions about this, but you go first. Well, I want to hear your opinions first. Uh, I absolutely effing hate it when DMs say, we're going to call the battle right here. It drives me. It, it is of the things I see at Adventurers League and the things that I see as a player playing at organized play games. It to me is a disease that needs to be rooted out and killed because nothing breaks my immersion faster than the DM stepping out of the camera, usually at the middle part of where the peak of the battle is just breaking out of you know, oh man, we're in real trouble. And just turning into that that awesome slide down of us just dominating a fight. That seems to be right when the DM says, we're just going to call right here. And on a personal level, like, I've had it where they, they almost always seem to do it right when it was my turn on the second round, right when I was about to do something good. Mm-hmm. Um, now I get that, like, uh, there's a need sometimes to, to, to shorten up a battle, especially when you have a time frame. But there seems like there's a lot of good tricks for ending the battle early, but still keeping it in the narrative of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, monsters running is usually not the best one because characters always want to chase their asses across whatever field. But just turning them into minions, giving them one hit point, and the next hit that hits them kills them. Mm-hmm. Easiest way in the world to end a battle and still you know, you know, still stay in the narrative of the game. But when they break the narrative of the game to end a battle early, it just drives me bananas. Yeah, and and I mean, I, I don't like it. I've done it. But I don't like it either when the DM just says, well, we're going to call it here, and then yeah. d- nothing else comes of it. Right. And then um, it's like, now room two. So, like, well, yeah. So just in the narrative, <laughs> say, all right, so uh, it, within the next you know, 20 seconds, you are able to take out the rest of the goblins. Right. Um, did you want to capture any, or did you want to kill them? Right, right. You know, then turn it into an interaction mm-hmm. or role-playing rather than just a metagame stop. Right, uh, right. I have had monsters turn on other monsters. Yeah. Um, you know, there's two monsters left. It's, it's this one's turn. Obviously, the, the players' characters are going to win. So the one goblin turns to the other and shoots him in the head and kills him. <laughs> and then says, I didn't like him anyway. Right. Hey, will you let me live? Yeah, right. I'll tell you where side. this trap is. I'm actually a exactly. spy. So do something different, but make it an interaction and a role-playing experience rather than a metagame yeah. move out of it. Right, right. I, 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 I always feel like the the one final hit, uh, you know, yeah. it takes slightly longer than saying we're going to call it right here, but it usually happens really quickly, you know, and, and you can even sort of telegraph it to the players of like, you know, these guys are right on the edge. You think one more hit's going to do it. And that right. way they're not wasting their time into positioning and, and everything yeah. else. Yep, and, exactly. and they still get to finish it off, yeah. But uh, right. And yeah. if there's a trap in the room that no one's seen yet, the monster walks into the trap. Yeah, uh, right. If, Good one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, use whatever you have going on in the room right. to... Yeah, some other environment. Another, you know, the wall collapses on him and kills him. Right. Like, Whoa! You know, he, it's, the evil pillar it, eats them. 
he swings and he misses so badly the sword comes around, hits himself in the face with it and kills him, you know. <laughs> yeah, anything funny uh or different or weird to to tell the story with you know without breaking the story is yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. That's another great question, by the yeah, way. Yeah, really good one. Alex, what else you got? Uh, so one from Johnny Utah ninety nine. He wants to know how do you politely deal with talkative players when time is a factor. That's a good one. Ooh, politely. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about politely. Shut um, the f up. I will usually just. It depends on how they're talkative. If they're talkative in the game, you know, c- completing the story, uh, that's one thing. You can you can use that to focus. Toward uh, moving toward the end of the game, um, if they're talkative outside of game, they're chatting with their buddies or something. Then it's just, okay, could you hand me that die? You know, roll a die in their direction. Could you hand me that die? Thank you. <laughs> um, that brings attention back to you. Uh, hey, could you give me a, a, an intelligence check? They roll. Well, it doesn't matter what they get. Okay, thanks. Right, make it. You know, you know, just bring them back into the game somehow. If if those little tricks don't work, if just catching their attention and bringing them back to the game doesn't work, then it's time to say, we only have uh, 30 minutes to get through this. I'm fine not getting through it if you guys are fine not getting through it. <laughs> Usually that's enough. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes they don't care if they get through it or not. Sometimes yeah. they're just like, yeah, hey, we're having fun. Okay, I'll have fun too. I've got thirty minutes. I can do anything you guys want. You know, and and that's at a that's at a convention where you know someone's paying at Gen Con almost a hundred dollars for a badge and you know ten bucks for a ticket. It's our money. I yeah, right. I can juggle. I can do whatever they like. Right. Uh, if if that's not what what they want to do. Now, if you have a table that's split, then you get into some weird dynamics where. You're just pulling out all the tricks you know to try to get everyone together. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the in in like all those all those suggestions are good, and usually sort of making it clear that okay, we're going to bring it back into the world usually does the trick. Sometimes if somebody's really in there, I'll just say, I want you know, can we give everybody else a chance at this point? You know, I, we, I want to make sure everyone gets a chance, and usually they get the idea. Oh, okay, I should I should shut up. I've never, I don't think I've had a situation where I've run it where I had. You know where I've where I've really had a a player that was you know kind of dominated to the point where I had to you know take him aside and say, please you know shut up. Um, I've had I've had players well they they kind of inter interrupt they interrupt a lot and my way is to just ignore the interruption and focus on whatever I was doing ahead of time right like if yeah. if somebody's in the middle of a scene and they're talking and this person interrupts them I'm still paying attention to the person who's talking, and I'm yeah. ignoring whatever the interruption was. Right. I mean Sometimes my. But sometimes that doesn't work so well. My home game group is the absolute worst. <laughs> I have never had a convention table of strangers worse than they are. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, they just, we can, we could get like Curse of Strahd done in a night. <laughs> but it ends up being you know six hours and we're still in the same room we started in. Yeah. Because these guys are just all over the place. But, you know, it's Friday night. We're blowing off steam. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, your 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 thing about like they're the one that paid a hundred bucks for their badge and ten dollars for the ticket. I always feel the same way about any game I'm running. Like like you know, everyone is sacrificing time to be at the table. This is my whole cell phone rant, right? Everyone is sacrificing time at the table, and if they want to spend two hours playing an iPhone game, hanging around with the other people, who am I to say no? Right? Like they're not they're not my employee, right? Like I'm not paying them to be there. So if they want to spend two hours on the phone, I, I mean, I'll try to bring them back. But you know, I'm not gonna. And and if that somehow is 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 hindering the game, I'll do something that I can to try to to try to keep him involved. 
Um, I've had a situation where like the person who was best in the best opportunity to do a skill check is the one that's totally not paying attention. And I, and then, you know, you kind of say like, Hey, does, you know, does Rild want to handle this, you know, handle this, you know, Oh, Oh yeah. Rild's really good at Arcana checks. Right. Yeah. But I don't get mad because, right. you know, I feel like they've, they, that, that, you know, it's a, I think it's, yeah, I think it's too much of a demand on them yeah. to say like, not only are you going to spend two hours and God knows how much time driving over here and everything else, but you know, you have to play it the way I want to play it. I mean, they can yeah. play however they want. I don't think that's a common, commonly held position. I don't know if it's common or not, but you know, I know lots of people who have sort of a cell phone, you know, a cell phone plan. They have like the, the jar from sons of anarchy where everybody goes <laughs> in the room and they put the phone in the jar. There you go. Right. And, and you know, I could see that too. I could, I could see if people wanted to run it. And if, if the whole table agreed that, look, I think we'll all have more fun. If we kind of separate ourselves from our devices, I think that that works out. We're totally answering a different question that was asked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Alex, what else you got? Okay. Uh, one from MJS October. Uh, do you use any devices at the table to help run? And if you do, what's your favorite app uh, to help you during a one-hour adventure? That's a good question. Yeah. It, it is a great question. I'm the horror, worst right. person that, to answer because I use paper and real dice and real pencils. I have started just now using an iPad because um, I got one of the big iPads, so it's easier to read. Uh, but I still will just have the adventure there and then all the other papers, monster stats, and so on uh, mm -hmm. on on the table. Now, I, I know that if I put my mind to it, I could start using some um, some apps that would really probably help me. Mm -hmm. um, I love to see Chris Perkins run. He was running at Origins, and he had a spreadsheet up. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, had everybody's AC and it, and it was doing a niche that way. And I'm like, man, that would be so cool to do that. <laughs> but I just don't want to spend the time to figure out how to make that work the best way. Sure. Since yeah. since I have paper, so I'm I'm not a good person to answer that. Oh, those are that's a, those are good points, right? You've run a lot of one hour games, and if if, if that's what works for you, then that's what works for you. And and, um, and to be honest, at some point, I don't even look at the adventure. <laughs> I'm well, yeah, excited. especially if it's yours, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're like, I, I, I'm just going to make it I up anyway. 20 so. hours on that thing. I don't need to look at it. I don't, yeah, so I, I don't run one-hour games. I don't know if I've ever run a one-hour game, but I've certainly run my share of two-hour games. My Sunday game is always two hours. Um, and I, I still love the paper books myself. I keep my, you know, my, my, my regular source books on hand. Um, I'd say three tools that, that I've used that have helped me considerably with speed. Uh, one is, and we've talked about this, um, with Teos on the last DM deep dive are the numbered initiative cards, you know, three by five cards folded in half with a number one through eight. And when you're doing initiative, again, if you have a player who's doing it, they just hand those cards out in initiative order. It sits out in front of everybody. So it, I find it to be better than a DM-held initiative sheet where the DM is the only one that can see it. If the players can look over and say, oh, he just called for number four and I'm number five, I better get ready. Um, you know, when that works well, it, it, it works really well. Uh, the other tool I use for one-shot games, I use it actually for all my games, and, and I mentioned it again, is uh, I have a campaign worksheet that I put together as part of my uh, Fantastic, Fantastic Locations Kickstarter, which has the names of the players, the names of the characters, background, you know, race class background information on it, uh, a little set of random names so that I can look for random names, a tiny little cheat sheet of status conditions and um, basic stats, like basic 5e stats. What's a, what's the range for DCs? What's How many targets can fit into a fireball typically because I play a lot of theater of the mind combat? Stuff like that. And then an area for notes. 
And when I'm running the game, I can just fill that with everything. And by having all the character names on that list, it's, it's very quick for me to say, ah, okay, you know, so-and-so, because I always like to use the character's name when I'm addressing anybody. That, that works really well. And it's, and it's nice to have, it's just a single eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, you know, real easy to use and, and, and works well for fast games. Uh, for apps, the one app I'll, I'll promote is a app called um, uh, Fight Club 5. Uh, I think it's, you know, made by a company called The Lion's Den for iOS. And it is a really, really fast uh, app. It's got the SRD material and the 5e SRD material in it. And you can very quickly look up spells, monsters, uh, classes, items, magic items, and all sorts of stuff. It's got a really nice quick search. Uh, it's all formatted really well. So when I'm on the road and I don't want to carry around a whole book, I'll just bring that app and I can usually, I could run D&D forever with just that app and, and just the SRD material. Uh, so that's a real, that's a real good one. Uh, and, and very, you know, very simple to use. Alex, what else we got? Okay. Uh, another one from MJS October. How do you handle rule checks during the one hour? Do you warn up front that the DM flat takes precedent precedence? Mm -hmm. Good question. Yeah. What I generally say is I don't know all the rules. Um, I generally know the rules I need to know, uh, but I don't necessarily know the rules that you need to know, such as spells. Uh, so if I, if you do something and I make a ruling and it's wrong, tell me. Mm -hmm. uh, we will move forward based on a group decision, and then someone who's not up next can look it up in their player's handbook or on their iPhone or wherever they check their rules. And that's ge that generally keeps things moving pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I um, back in the 4E days, I did this where I had an assigned rules lawyer uh, for our group, right? And it was just easier to say they're, you know, when it comes to a rules arbitration, they're in charge. And as long as they're fair about it, right? They don't cheat and they don't, they don't do it in favor of any one particular group. And usually the rules lawyer is far more interested in maintaining the integrity of the rules than they are on being biased towards either the DM or the player. So that, that can work. And, and even if you have a group of people that don't know each other, usually somebody's willing to fill that in. There's almost somebody that's pretty experienced. Right. Um, I think it brings up an interesting point overall. Um, I've heard this uh, with 5e um, that like the monsters will often have spells listed in the monster stat block, but we don't actually know what they are. And in the old days of 4e, we could look in the stat block and it usually described what it was. Usually it was something unique to the monster, but also was very similar. So now we might have a, you know, a monster that just says fireball as, a, as an option, for example. But one of the things that's interesting is the longer we play 5e, the more of those rules we learn, mm -hmm. right? And and I don't think we account for that all the time with, with um, you know, when we think about these things. We kind of pretend like I should have learned all of the rules on the first day and I will never learn another rule ever since. It's like, no, we're all getting better at this. Like, right. you know, you might not remember that a fireball is 8d6, you know, your first day, but boy, I sure know it is now because I've seen about a thousand fireballs, right? And right. I, you know, most of the spells I'm picking up, like the ranges I typically don't remember, you know, but but dice and stuff like that, you know, it's it's pretty quick for me to remember it. And I think as players are playing more, they're going to remember it. And it's right. it's it's you know, it's less of a worry about do we remember, you know, all the rules. But, yeah, when it comes to rules arbitration, I think, you know, the asking around the table, you know what? I don't know. Does anybody else know how Thunderstrike, you know, how, how, how well, I don't know the name of the spell, you know, how, Thunderwave. <laughs> Yeah, does anybody else know what Thunderwave does? You know, what the area of effect for Thunderwave is? And somebody will be like, oh, yeah, it's a 15-foot cone. You know, right. but they might not remember that, you know. So then 
sometimes you just look it up. But again, with a one-hour game, I, I suppose it's very different. You know. Yeah. You might for, just for, not have time for people to flip through their PHP. Yeah. For, what I do with monsters is I love the fourth edition monster, and I hate having to look up spells, so I just make things up. <laughs> you know, this guy has a second level spell slot. He doesn't have magic missile listed. He has magic missile now. Yeah, he casts it a second level. Boom, there you go. Yep, um, yep. We're going to use a thunder wave like spell now. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. You can do that as long as you're not one of those DMs that's just out to kill people. Right. Or even it'll worse, their the, character. gives you the benefit. Yeah. Right. You know, just make make a fun story out of it. Don't overdo it. You you know the general range of spells right so you know work from there yeah 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 and that idea of like the more spells that you know like i i have a feeling that we probably start to learn the more effective spells at any given spell level first and then if you open it up and you're looking like wow here's a shaman and this shaman's got second level pre-spells and i don't recognize any of these guess what spirit guardians it is you know because i know what spirit guardians does right so um yeah, I think I, I like that idea a lot. I actually had a player who got really upset, not really upset, but definitely got miffed because I was changing out the spell loading for a wizard that was in a module and he knew what spells the creature had. And I was like, okay, I'm not an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> like, guess what, pal? Yeah. I, I, I never forgot that. Uh, Alex, what else you got? MJS October, what's uh, the word length usually for a one hour adventure when you write it? Ooh. Word count? Ooh. Uh, that is a great question. Uh, let me, let me see. Uh, I mean, a regular adventure is usually about ten thousand words. Right. Um, so you're looking. Sometimes these will be a little longer than just dividing five by ten. So I would say between two thousand and twenty five hundred words. Mm -hmm. um, now, if you're like I write for the Adventures League, so a lot of that is text that has to be there. It's not really the adventure. It's all of the you know, all of the, the disclaimers and, and so on. You know, there's lots of text that's just, the character shall receive the following treasure divided amongst the party. Characters should attempt to divide treasure evenly whenever possible. You know, all that <laughs> stuff is just copy and paste each time. The, what's critical about the word count is kind of like Poe's unity of effect. Don't use words in the adventure itself unless they mean something. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to keep my box text, which is very important to have, for DMs that might not have prepped the adventure thoroughly. So you need that box text, but keep it simple. Keep it to the point. Say what needs to be said without having a lot of questions from the players or ways that they might go off in different directions. Just make it clear and to the point. Yeah, and I think there's there's probably a, a difference between the word count for published adventures and 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 what we what we need to be able to run one on our own. You know, if we're running a short one-hour game. I bet you, you could get away with a three by five card, you know, and if, if, if on the assumption that you've thought about it at all, you could probably get a three by five card in your head, you know, and then, you know, play off of that, particularly for one hours in one hour mm -hmm. games. I've done that for, for longer games, four hour games. If you've got enough material floating around in your brain. Yep. Um, I was just looking at uh, today. I was looking at uh, weird discoveries, uh, a book that Monty Cook put out for Numenera. And it's a book of 10 adventures for Numenera with a totally different kind of adventure design than the typical. And I think those are intended to be like good, solid four-hour adventures. And I think they're a total of four pages, right? It's like they're really, really brief in their description. They have a map and then the descriptions of the places in the map 
Um, they, you know, and, and what I liked about it was at breakfast, I was thinking like, there's a convention coming up. I was thinking like, should I run a Numenera game for this? And I was able to read all of the summaries for all 10 adventures in like 10 minutes, you know, right. and decide like, eh, I don't like this one. Eh, I don't like this one, you know? And, and it was because like, here's the, you know, here are the main things about this adventure. Here's how it starts. Here's, you know, a little clue here. You know, this happens, this happens, this, you right. know, yeah. and very, um, you know, very structured in, sure. in its approach. Yeah, and writing for the Adventurers League is a little bit of a different animal because while it doesn't have to be an exact copy of one table to the next, you kind of want to have a similar experience. So if the players do X, you want Y to happen at almost all the tables. Right. So you have to, you know, you have to go at least deep enough to to let the, the DM know that that is what you're expecting the story to to be based on player actions. Uh, one, la one last question. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it. How do you feel about flavor text? Flavor text. Read aloud. Way. Read aloud text. Read aloud text. I think it's vital, mm -hmm. um, especially if you want, like I said, for organized play, it's very vital. It's much easier for the DM to get across the atmosphere and the uh, flow that you want by using sparingly but but efficiently mm -hmm. uh box text mm -hmm. um i try to keep it to three short paragraphs and i'm like looking at this adventure right now and it's like three short paragraphs next three short paragraphs next two short paragraphs so just just enough that the dm will know and the players will know what things in the room they can interact with mm -hmm. or what information a character is trying a, a non-player character is trying to get to them mm -hmm. uh, Anything beyond that is too much. Uh, don't use the word you in your box text because hmm. yeah, inevitably, right. if you use the word you, you're going to tell someone what their character does yeah, right. or what their character feels. Right. Uh, so just say, instead of saying you, as you walk across the room, you notice this and you know, a shiver goes up your spine. No. First of all, they don't might not me, have a spine. Don't tell me what's going on with my spine. Exactly. Yeah. No, so just say the statue in the corner, the, uh, the eyes in the statue in the corner glint with, with a, a faint magical light right. uh, rather than you see. or yeah. And it, it makes it a little bit more awkward, but if you can eliminate you, yep. you're in good shape. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, to me, the, 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 the topic of, of, of uh, read aloud text comes up often and it like looking at wizards, you know, look at their material from Watsi. It's kind of like, sometimes they have it and sometimes they don't some, and, and, and I think they probably have some sort of style guide that they use to decide when do you need it and when should you not. Right. I've always have decided like, look, I barely read your stuff anyway. It'd be really nice if you had that in there. <laughs> yeah. I, why do I have to read this whole section and then summarize it? Why can't you just tell me what to say? Right. Yeah. I paid pay my 50 bucks. Give me some read aloud text. But I, I wrote I wrote an article on critical hits many years ago. Now, if you if you look up uh, my name and critical hits in box text, I, I wrote a long article about it, including a, a pretty I thought it was funny because it's happened scene where a, a DM is reading box text and the players keep interrupting saying no. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, you start to approach. No, we don't. Or, I don't approach. Or you know your skin. Uh, prickles with no, I'm a, I'm a warforged. I don't have skin, <laughs> right. you know. And, and so you, you know, it's all of these pitfalls of box text done as kind of a play. Yeah. So check yeah. that out if you get a chance and 
hopefully there's some good advice in there too. Sean, this has been a great talk. You know, always I, rem- I was I was thinking about earlier today that like in in at least three conventions I can think of, my deepest regret was that I didn't get to talk to you long enough or at all in some cases. Like I'm like, oh, there he is, I'm crocking across the hall. And I, you know, and then we both get swept up in the sea of convention stuff. And, you know, so it's been a great pleasure to spend an hour with you tonight and, and talk through all this stuff. Uh, I learned a lot. And uh, I, I hope our I hope our viewers and listeners uh, learned as well. So thank well, you thanks. very much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. It was great to be able to talk to you for a long time at Winter Fantasy. And finally, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. You know, get over that get over that rut. But uh, okay. thanks for having me. I really loved your show. I hope I lived up to Absolutely. the uh, what you've established with Teos and Enrique. Yeah, I can't speak for everyone else, but I can speak for myself. <laughs> I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't put a, put words in their mouth about <laughs> what they do or aren't doing or thinking or not thinking. But uh, yeah, I I certainly learned a lot and really liked it. So uh, uh, thank you very much. And thanks to Alex, uh, our guardian angel, for for wrangling the crowd. And thanks to everybody involved in the Don't Split the Podcast Network for uh, doing all the hard work and and letting two guys like us just sit and talk. It's been great. Thank you very much. Bye, everybody.